Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. Ian Unsworth and John Eads. Today's stand-in for Gil Gross. Staying along with you until the 10 o'clock hour. Remember, check our stuff out at orangefizz.net. Also, follow at orangefizz on Twitter for polls, fizz feedback. That's coming up later today. Latest updates on Syracuse recruiting news. Syracuse just got their first first football commit in the class of 2022. Also hired a new coach uh, on the offensive line from Arizona State. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Also preview Notre Dame with Tom Noy of the excuse me South Bend Tribune, and he does some work for ND Insider as well. But John, first things first, Syracuse had a monumental opportunity for a quad one win taken off the board on Wednesday. Frustrating, and it's very frustrating. The Orange didn't even have an opportunity to have the opportunity. Instead, the game's wiped off, and there's there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. The second time, Louisville's canceled on the Orange, and Syracuse just lost out on perhaps maybe their last chance at making a shot at the NCAA tournament. Now, obviously, if they do some good things in the postseason and whatnot, that's a different story. But down the stretch here, that Louisville game, that was an opportunity for a quad one. You may also have one uh, at Georgia Tech and then at home against UNC. But from what we've seen from Syracuse this year, Ian, I don't think those are winnable games. This Louisville game was winnable. I think you and I both had Syracuse winning in this game, and they didn't even get to play it. So... It's a real bummer. Louisville's canceled twice on the day of the game. That's that's a real bummer. On the day of the game, back two weeks ago, well, two weeks from Wednesday on February 3rd, Louisville cancels on the day of the game. Then on February 17th, last Wednesday, Syracuse goes all the way down to Kentucky and then cancellation again. Well, obviously, it's postponement. Let's use the technical term there. It's postponement. But there's really not a chance for this game to get made up. Syracuse plays North Carolina right in the beginning of March. And then they have about an eight-day window for the for, before the ACC tournament. And, of course, especially with all the COVID stuff going on now, that'll be a lot of testing, a lot of travel. There may even have to be a quarantine situation for the team once they get to North Carolina. There won't be time to fit in multiple games in that, I believe it's an eight-day window between that NC game, UNC game, and the tournament. It's There's maybe time for one. I think one has been mentioned, but if any team, it's going to have to be Florida State that Syracuse plays then because that's their chance for a big-time win against a top-25 program that's surely going to make the tournament. There, there's no time for Syracuse to sort of build up their resume anymore. They're 0-4 against quad one teams. Mm-hmm. You need a big splash. Yeah, that would be a great opportunity if they're able to do it. But again, you know, they may have the time to do it, but would you rather play in the tournament where you can potentially run the table and earn an AQ, or would you rather play this one game against Florida State? Because you know, nightmare scenario, there's some COVID issues with both Florida State and Syracuse, then they can't even play in the tournament. So, I don't know. I don't that's why I think they may not even play that game. That, of course, all we're just we're just throwing out suggestions right now. There's no game firmly scheduled for 
the week or the, the, the span between UNC and the ACC tournament. John, going back to, I guess, all the, the postponements that Syracuse has had, there's two against Louisville, the Florida State game. They also lost one against Clemson after that whole Buffalo COVID saga, and also two other games in there, Notre Dame and Wake Forest. I, I said Florida State for the for the one game that Syracuse wants back. Are you with me on that? Yes, I think I think Syracuse could stand to gain a second game against Clemson at home because they played so bad in that first game. I think they could play way better than what they did. And that's a respectable Clemson team, but it's also a beatable Clemson team if you can get any sort of offense going. So, I don't know. Uh, I think Florida State's a, a good suggestion. I really think the Orange could have played a lot better against Clemson, though. And um, when they would have played Clemson that first time, that was kind of around the time when the Tigers had some issues with COVID. So, you know, Syracuse didn't really luck out timing-wise there. Well, we mentioned this on our, our weekly FizzCast, which we do on the site, orangefizz.net. And it's also up on SoundCloud, Fizz Radio, and Twitter, Orange Fizz on Twitter. Follow that. The teams have come out of COVID pauses in very different ways. Clemson came out of their pause and massively struggled. They got beat by double digits multiple times in a row. But a team like Michigan in the Big Ten, which, you know, obviously Michigan's probably a higher quality team than most in the ACC, but they came out of their COVID pause, struggled in the first half of their game last Sunday against Wisconsin, and then turned it on in the second half. So we had we have no clue what we could have seen from this Louisville team coming off of their own two-week two stretch. It could have been Louisville comes out and beats the brakes off of Syracuse. I highly doubt that, but it, it also could have been, you know, a dream scenario for Syracuse where Louisville, the, the committee doesn't recognize COVID pauses. The tournament committee really doesn't care. It's all about that net ranking. So Louisville is still solidly stationed up there in that quad one territory, but Syracuse has a real advantage against a team that was going to be missing two scholarship players. And it's funny you mentioned the tidbit about the committee and COVID pauses because I was like, oh, my, first, my first instinct here was, oh, well, they did it against Louisville straight out of COVID. So put an asterisk by that win. I mean, like you said, they don't care. So that would have been huge for Louisville and there, for Syracuse rather. And there's no way, like the thing with Michigan is no one in the program actually had COVID. No one actually tested positive. So really what they were doing was just kind of practicing. Everyone was healthy still. Juwan Howard like wasn't away from the team. Chris Mack tested positive. He just returned to practice the day before that Wednesday game on Tuesday. There's no possible way that Syracuse is going to lose to Louisville. No possible way. If they do, just honestly, uh, curtains closed the entire season. That's ridiculous. The next five games for Syracuse, uh, is it five or is it four? Am I, am I missing one here? Because we've got Louisville, Duke, GT, UNC. Okay, the next four, the potentially five, but probably four. The next four games for Syracuse. Do you see this as a turning point? Oh, well, it's a turning point either way. But do you turn the corner where you, you suddenly, Syracuse goes on, it makes it six winning, six games in a row that they win. They sweep the last four, which is a possibility, like we've said. Or do you see it as you turn the page on the season and you kind of look forward to Benny Williams and everything that we're going to have in 2021. I want to say it's a turning point. I def I could I, I Syracuse beat Notre Dame. That I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. I think they go on the road and beat Duke, who just lost one of their best players just for opting out, and then Duke's just obviously been bad all year. Uh, but then you go to Georgia Tech and home against UNC, two super tough games. So I don't think they go four and zero. 
but I also think they go maybe two and two, three and one. I don't think you just need to. I don't need to. You don't need to throw the towel in on the season just yet. I think there's still outside opportunities. All you can do right now, if you're Syracuse, is finish the season as best as you possibly can, and I think that is a three and one record. And what about Bayheim's team in the tournament? Because the one game against UNC last year, I would say reinvigorated all of the 3-1-5. It was a rough end of the season. That loss to UNC in the Dome, Cole Anthony had 20-something and was just hitting threes from all over the place. Go down to Miami, lose a heartbreaker late late in the clock. That dude, I was Vasilovich, hits three after three after three. The, the end of the season last year for Syracuse, was extremely rough, and there were no COVID pauses to speak of. There were no stoppages. The team just really struggled. They lost to Florida State, and everything kind of went downhill. This year, there's a whole different set of circumstances that the Orange are facing. And whether the season ends on a high note or not, it's mostly the same core from last year. And they all showed that ability to recalibrate, refocus, before tournament time. Do you think a similar situation could happen this year? Because I don't, I don't know about you, but I thought that after watching that UNC game, I was like, "Oh, Syracuse, Syracuse could be on a run. Like this, this could be it. Like we could get them back. The cardiac cues, you know, this could be runtime, maybe even to the big dance." Yeah. And then, of course, we got the news later in the night that everything was getting shut down. Rudy, actually, that was the night. That was the exact night that Rudy Gobert tested positive. COVID-19 and shut down the NBA season and everything kind of tumbled after that but but back to my back to my whole premise here do you think Syracuse can recalibrate itself quickly enough even if it goes 4-0 to end this season does Syracuse have what it takes to make an ACC tournament run I think they do the thing with Syracuse is with any tournament really all you got to do is get there like especially with the big dance, the zone defense, the, the way Syracuse plays, all you got to do is get there. You can catch, you can catch any team, you know, on an off day, on an off off night in that sense. But I was looking at the bracket today. They released that no fans would be at the tournament today, and the bracket, I think, um, eight and nine seeds as usual will meet up against one, and that's probably where Syracuse will end up around an eight, eight or nine seed. They're seven right now. I think they could, and like you said, it's just a bummer last year that. You know, stuff went to crap after that first game because they really looked they could they looked like they could do some damage. I remember the newspaper clippings like UNC 14 seed could run the table and win the entire tournament. And then Syracuse Syracuse comes out and just whoops them. Um, so to answer your question, I think they could. It just really depends on who that one seed is. What's that tournament bracket looking like? You said you took a peek at it. Yeah. Uh, let me let me pull it up. I it kind of it just kind of looked like usual, um, but it. The, the layout kind of seemed different. Let me let me check on that real quick. So if Syracuse, let me let me just kind of hypothetically hypothesize here. If the season ended today, Syracuse is somewhere around the eight or the nine, right? They'd probably have to run into Virginia sometime pretty soon. If they move up to seven or six with a couple of wins, that's huge. And the middle of the ACC is pretty much stacked right on top of itself right now. So moving up to seven, six, avoiding Virginia which seems to be the orange kryptonite and when it comes to playing good offense, unless it's you know the second half in Charlottesville and Buddy Bayheim's banking stuff from 30 feet. If Syracuse can avoid Virginia, it might be possible because Florida State has been Jekyll and Hyde this year. Every other team in the ACC has had its ups, had its downs. John, we mentioned on the FizzCast that Pittsburgh, a team that was the, you know, this 
the newest flavor three, four weeks ago is now behind Syracuse in the ACC. They're like five games back from first. So any team in the ACC can really win this tournament. But I think you got the bracket up now. Look, I do. What, what's it looking like? I do. So, yeah, you know, if, if you're Syracuse, you're the eight or nine seed. You're going to have to play the one seed in the quarterfinals. But if they finish at seven or six, they go to the bottom of the bracket. Then they'd play the two or the three. Now, what you don't want to do is fall somewhere between 10 and 15 because then you have to play in that first round. So it's just kind of an extra game, you know? You don't want that first round game to be your UNC game last year where you come out just guns a-blazing. So I think if you're Syracuse, the best-case scenario is they're seventh right now. You either hold firm there, and then you get to play maybe a UNC or a Florida State instead of a Virginia, and then you really have an opportunity to advance past the quarterfinals, perhaps into the semifinals. All right, so if the season ended today, Syracuse with the seven, they'd play the 10, which is Notre Dame. 10 or the 15. 10 or the 15. So Notre Dame or Miami, Miami a team that Syracuse handily beat, and, you know, they did not have any problems because Isaiah Wong had a cold night. That's the key to beating Miami. You need Isaiah Wong to just falter. But Notre Dame, Syracuse, we should see what what the Orange look like against the Fighting Irish this Saturday. And later on in the show, probably around, around 9.30 or so, we'll be talking to Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune and Notre Dame Insider to learn a bit more about the Fighting Irish. Don't go anywhere. More Fizz Radio after the break. Back here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth here today with my Gilgrove stand-in, John Eads. Remember to check our stuff out on orangefizz.net and follow the Twitter at orangefizz. John, we talked a lot about Syracuse as a team and the scheduling in our in our you know the top of the show, but let's talk about some players that need to step it up through these last four games, especially because last game I saw a great first half from Joe Girard. And then he kind of fell off the map. Yeah, you kind of stole who I was going to say needs to step it up. And you're right. He did show us what we expected to see from day one in that first half against BC. Now, in the second, Coach Beheim said it. Joe said it. His role in the second half wasn't necessarily to score. It was to facilitate. I'm not sure how much I, you know how much stock I put into that. I think, you know, you're playing basketball. You should always be looking to score. You can't come into the half and be like, hey, I'm going to pass this half. I'm going to just, I'm going to dish the ball. I'm not going to score. It's, I got my 16. I'm good. Nah, come on, man. You got to, you got to be looking to score every time. But if Joe can play like that for 40 minutes or heck, even 30 minutes of a game, assuming he plays 30 minutes, it'd be great. He went on a seven to nothing run in the first half by, by himself. By himself, he got in the passing lanes, ran out in transition, made some easy layups, and really carried Syracuse through what what kind of was a a bit of a struggle late in the first half because Alan Griffin went off. He had 10 points in the first 10 minutes and then finished the game with 14. So both of two of Syracuse's best three shooters started really hot, fell off the map, and in the second half, like you mentioned, it was a big effort to force the ball down to Quincy Garrier, Marek Dolajai down low. But neither of them had great games. And this brings me back to something I've been wondering for the past few weeks now. What has happened to Quincy Garrier? He had a great beginning to the season. He was third in the ACC in points at one time, second in rebounds. He was averaging like 18 and 12. And now he struggles to score in the post. His shot selection is 
is, is it's the same thing over and over again. It's the righty hook. And it works sometimes, but it doesn't work every time. His three-point shooting has drastically decreased because he's not taking as many. I, I just want to see him get, get back into rhythm. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, because you mentioned the first half of the season, and that's when Syracuse played a lot of the weaker competition, the smaller teams, the Bryants, the Niagaras, the Riders, who didn't really have bigs or guys inside that could stand up to Quincy. And Coach B said this, at I want to say the inception of the ACC schedule this year, Quincy's going to have to learn as he goes. He's going to have to learn that, hey, these things won't work against these guys and these things, you know, these things I like I could do against Niagara, they're not going to work against uh, Jay Huff, for example. And he's just going to have to figure that out and learn that. And I think he's starting to understand that. He's obviously taken on a, a b much bigger role this year. Last year, Ian, he would come off the bench and really would just kind of, you know, he had no idea. He'd just kind of do whatever. And what worked, worked. What didn't, didn't. Now he's playing bigger minutes, more opportunities down there. He's got to figure it out. So still a growing product. And, you know, we're seeing some good, we're seeing some bad. BC started two guys that were six, eight, six, nine. about Garrier's height. BC also was missing one of their centers due to COVID-19 protocols. I don't know. I wanted to see more of Garrier. I, I'm okay with them forcing the ball down to him, but just him giving me the righty hook every single time, you can't throw the fastball every single pitch. You got to mix it up. You got to spin away to the baseline. You have to take a mid-range jumper. Garrier just doesn't have that in his arsenal yet. And hopefully, before, you know, I guess to kind of put a bow on this whole Garrier discussion, people have talked about him as an NBA draft prospect. I don't think he's there yet. I think he needs one more year to polish his offensive game, develop some sort of handling because he, he, he really can't handle the ball. And defensively, he's good. He's getting there. But... I, I just need to see more growth from him on the offensive end before he transitions to the next level, goes through the draft process, all that sort of stuff. But, John, let's talk football for a second. We've oh. we've got some big news in the football world. Syracuse got its first commit of the 2022 recruiting class and also hired a new offensive line coach. So I guess pick whichever one you want to and fill me in. I don't know where. So I guess we'll start with the recruit. So Cornell Perry out of Woodhaven High School in Michigan. Ian and I are both from Michigan, so I'm familiar with Woodhaven. Three-star athlete offers from primarily Mac schools, actually all Mac schools aside from Syracuse. But nonetheless, I watched this kid's film, Ian, and he's good. He, uh, he claims a 4-5-40, a 3A GPA, smart kid. And I saw some good things both defensively and offensively. So he's a guy who they recruited as a DB, if I'm not mistaken. But I saw him running jet sweeps, uh, even catching passes, some nice nice catches in there. But then, you know, as a tackler, which he's being recruited as, uh, some great things as well. Uh, spectacular ta tackler. He's able to track the ball well as a center fielder. And, you know, he's got a little thump in his hitting. So I liked what I saw. And, you know, if you want to see that film, just look up Cornell Perry Huddle. And uh, it's right there, Junior Highlights. And I will say, too, he did this against some pretty good competition. I can kind of add this perspective. The first highlight on his film is against Cass Tech, who's one of the premier programs in Michigan. So this is a guy that's played some good competition, and for now is flying under the radar. You said he was gonna. He's recruited as a DB. Yeah. Uh, do you think he has any sort of two-way potential, or is he just yeah. going to be locked in as a corner or safety by the time he gets to Syracuse? I think, I think there could be some two-way potential, not like a Charles Woodson type thing where he's actually playing two ways, but I think there could be some packages where he's getting the ball on sweeps or misdirection type things. Now, 
I, while I do say that Syracuse has plenty of weapons that can do this anyways, but if they wanted to play him two ways, I think they could. All right, so let's move to this coaching hire. Mike Schmidt, the San Diego State offensive line coach, is headed to the hill. Um, he spent a lot of time with Tony White, the Orange defensive coordinator, and now rejoins him as part of Dino Baber's staff. The Syracuse offensive line has been terrible, absolutely awful for the past couple of years. What improvements do you think Mike Schmidt can make? I'm not sure if we're going to see improvements immediately, but I think over time we're going to see some great things. I mean, shoot, it couldn't get much worse, so I think we will see, see some improvement in that sense, but I, I love this hire. This is spectacular hire coming from San Diego State and as soon as I heard San Diego State the first thing I think of is that power rushing attack they have out there I think of Rashad Penny a two-star recruit who ended up leading the FBS in running yards in 2017 I mean spectacular since 2012 this is the stat to know the Aztecs rank 15th nationally in rushing yards per carry with five 15th in rushing yards per game to about 217 and tied for 21st in touchdowns 201 I mean that's that's and this is at San Diego State this isn't a program that gets four and five star recruits year after year it's a developmental program so it's all about schematics it's all about the coaching clearly he's got it Syracuse is returning a lot of offensive line talent pretty much all of their offensive line talent from last year and although I wasn't impressed actually I was not impressed I will say that very bluntly I was not impressed with what I saw from Aaron Service and his what fifth year at Syracuse, yeah. ah, that was that was really rough to see him just get bowled over in some games. Other than that, I mean, I like what Syracuse has on the line. Matthew Bergeron, I think, is solid at the left tackle spot. The guard, Chris Blake. I saw Chris Blake the other day on campus. Dude, he is massive. He is massive. His hair is going all over the place. He's got a big beard. He just looks like a guy that wants to be in the trenches and wants to play nasty, hard-nosed football. Veterello is a solid, solid guy at the center spot. You know him better than I do, but a solid guy at the center spot. They got to figure out right guard. Is it Darius Tisdale again? Is it Dakota Davis? We don't really know, but I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic. Yeah. From the Syracuse off, like. You know, I think we're going to get a better version of the Syracuse offensive line this year. And it also helps that Syracuse has great backs, or at least one great back that we know is coming back, and maybe two more that could get back into the fold. Could be good. I mean, like you said it. It can't get much worse. Everyone's coming back. I think they have – it's not – Five guys, and that's it. I think they have some really good depth now, especially with the guys they brought in. You think of Enrique Cruz. You think of J Jacob Allen, who they just added from the Juco ranks. And then Chris Blake, who, yeah, you mentioned how, how big he is. This guy was at Florida to play SEC football, big boy football. So, yeah, he'll be ready to go. And then we are uh, Syracuse already has all five of its guys back from last year on top of that. So now they can pick and choose between nine, ten guys. Who are the best? Who are the best five? Who has the best chemistry? Just give me the best. I don't think Enrique Cruz is going to be ready to contribute right away, though. He comes in at, what, 260, yeah, 265? I, I think he's a bit more of a developmental guy. But hopefully if he's ready, if he can pack on some weight, if he's ready to go by year two, he certainly has the raw tools to be an impact player. And I mentioned the backs. Abdul Adams coming back, although... We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a big fan of Abdul Adams. I think... Sean Tucker certainly looked better from what I saw of the year of Tucker and then maybe the, you know, I guess Adam split time with Mo Neal two seasons ago and we didn't get to see his full skill set, but I wasn't super impressed with what I saw. I'm going to be honest. I like Sean Tucker a lot better and I like that Sean Tucker has at least two or three more years 
in this orange program. I also like Jarvion Howard a lot because he will he's a big guy. He'll absorb the bulk of the carries that Sean Tucker will take. He won't, you know, Tucker was banged up every other game that last year. Syracuse needs someone to sort of supplement those carries. And also Howard's a big body that you can throw in on the goal line. Well, you said it. They got to find a way to s- distribute the carries because Sean Tucker's a spectacular running back. You can't be giving him 20, 25 per game, especially not as a freshman. I know Syracuse had to do that, but you mentioned Abdul Adams, not the biggest fan. Look, we were at the point where we had Cooper Lutz as our starting running back. Syracuse Dude, Cooper Lutz Cooper didn't look Lutz. half bad. No, no, no. I'm just saying it got that bad. It was fourth and fifth string on the depth chart because of injuries and opt-outs. So, you know, if Abdul Adams wants to come back, cool. Jarvion, of course. And then you got Sean Tucker, and then you, 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 added, uh, you added some in this class as well. Uh, think of um, Huff. From Pennsylvania, Josh Huff. Yeah, Josh Huff's another big, big body, but he put out some crazy, crazy numbers. He had multiple, I think it was four games with 70-plus yard touchdown runs. That's insane. It was like you go on Twitter and every other tweet is, oh, Huff, another 80-yard run. Huff, another 75-yard run. That dude was putting up stats like it was nobody's business. So excited to see how he works into the fold. But we're going to flip back to basketball next because Syracuse has Notre Dame. They're tipping off at 2 p.m. later today. We're going to talk to Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune and Notre Dame Insider right after the break. Don't go anywhere. More Fizz Radio on the score 1260 after this. Back here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth alongside John Eats, taking you up until 10 o'clock. Remember, check out all our stuff on orangefizz.net, on Twitter at orangefizz. And now we're joined by our special guest, Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune, also does some work for Notre Dame Insider. Tom, how you doing? Outstanding. Couldn't be better. Good to hear. And uh, I'm going to lead it off with the questions here. So Ian and I did a FizzCast, which is like a preview segment we do for who Syracuse is playing uh, this week, and of course, it was Louisville, and now it's Notre Dame here. <laughs> no, today. Wait, wait, do we, do we know that Saturday's game is still going to be we, played? We, yeah, at, no. at this point, we have no idea, do we? <laughs> Who knows? We, I know, we were really bummed about the Louisville news, but we're switching gears to Notre Dame. And when we were looking at Notre Dame this year, the the Fighting Irish, really an up and down team. You know, one day they beat Pitt by thirty, and then the next they lose to a team they shouldn't lose to. You know, how do you kind of gauge that? Well, it's because of the pandemic, really. Like they, this is a program where Mike Gray puts so much stock into his offseason. You get the five starters or the five guys that he feels like can, he can build around the core group, lock them in a gym all spring, all summer, all uh, early fall, and just let them play. Let them play five on five, run dummy offense to where they're not only working as one, they're thinking as one. Where, where Prentice Hub knows Dane Goodwin's going to be here, or Cormac Ryan knows Nate Lashevsky is going to be on the wing if he drives and has to kick it back. They didn't have any of that practice time. So given the fact that they had zero practice time with the pandemic and the schedule that they wanted to play, you know, let's it's it wasn't let's get a directional school. Let's get a school that's that that's got a, a really bad strength of schedule. Let's go and open up against Michigan State back when Michigan State was actually good to start <laughs> the season. So you had all those factors and it was like they're just they just had to learn on the fly. Like they, they didn't they didn't get some no name team into Purcell Pavilion to where they could beat them by 25 and work on their offense, work on their set defenses, figure out how to play. They had to do it all on the run this year, and it's really it's really hurt this program, to be honest with you. And some people 
uh, like just around the ACC. I've heard a couple whispers, read a couple whispers that maybe Mike Bray might, his seat's getting a little hot. Well, when you start 0-5 in the league for the first time in school history, people are going to say that. But Mike Bray's seat could not be any cooler. He and Jack Swarbrick are very good friends. Mike Bray has a contract that's running through 2024-25. And I really find it hard, even, even in this climate. Like if, if Notre Dame had gone 0-17, maybe in the ACC, maybe his seat might get a little warm. But given the way uh, the, 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 the climate is financially for schools, in a pandemic, like Notre Dame lost millions upon millions upon millions of dollars with not having a regular college football season and all the income that they make through Notre Dame football, obviously. So they're not, a, they weren't about to, like they're, they're not going to make a move this year, but had this season gone really sideways, it would be hard to justify Notre Dame making a move financially to pay a coach four more years into his contract, to pay a new coach X amount of years, Mike Bray is not going anywhere unless he decides, you know what? I've had it with the pandemic. I've had it with trying to win again in the ACC. I'm just going to go and park myself on a beach somewhere. But everybody expects him to be back next year and the year after that. The year after that might get a little dicey, but no way is his his seat in e- even toasty warm. So you mentioned Lashuski. And he was a guy last year that came off the bench against Syracuse. And now he's leading the ACC in field goal percentage. And he could be the premier guy that's hurting the Orange on uh, today on Saturday. So what, what about his rise, just kind of from a bench player to being the guy for this fighting Irish team? Just another guy in a long line of guys in this program to where he doesn't play much, doesn't show much his freshman and sophomore years. And then junior year, John Mooney leaves the building. You've got a guy that needs to come in and average 18 and 10, score 23 points a game, maybe grab 12 rebounds. So it was something where Nate Lashevsky left at the end of last season. Mike Brady didn't see him for five months because of the pandemic. No spring, no summer school, no early fall, nothing walks into Mike Bray's office after being gone for five months, and Mike Bray looked at him and said, holy cow, he looks like an, a, a legit ACC big man, and he's developed that way to where it's a point now he's leading the league in field goal percentage. He was leading the league in three-point percentage. He was touted when he came in here three years ago as the best shooting big man in that recruiting class, not only not just at Notre Dame, but the entire country. He was after guys, you know, schools like North Carolina were after him. And now we're finally starting to see why Nate Lashevsky was so touted, highly touted coming in here. Because when it leaves his hand, the first two years, it left his hand. You were thinking it, it was going in and it wasn't going in. Now when he shoots the ball, you're thinking, man, that's going in. And he is, he has not really missed a lot of shots this season. He had seven threes against the Tar Heels. Do I have that number right? That is, that is correct. Like he's, he's- he was hot. Yeah, Ian Unsworth, John Eads here talking to Tom Noy of South Bend Tribune about Notre Dame, the game coming up later today, 2 p.m. tip. Tom, a name that Syracuse fans might recognize is Prentice Hub. He's still with the Fighting Irish. He hit six threes in the first game between these two teams last year. How has his role changed since his backcourt mate from last year, TJ Gibbs, has moved on? Not necessarily, not that much. Like he's still, Mike Bray has given him the keys to the car. Like he, he's he, even, even when TJ Gibbs and Rex Fluger, two veteran guards were here last year, Mike Bray pulled Prentice Hub aside and said, look, this is your team. You go run it. Here are the keys. 
you run it the way you, you you need to run it and get these guys into playing ACC caliber basketball. I think what, what's helped Prentice Hub is the pieces around him better fit this year. Last year, you weren't going to get a big scoring effort from TJ Gibbs. You weren't going to get a big scoring effort from Rex Fluger. So they, they, were, they were guards, but they were kind of like different type of guards than this program has seen. Now he's got guys like Trey Wirtz, Cormac Ryan, Dane Goodwin, to where he trusts that he can get the ball to Dane Goodwin and make a shot. He can find Nate Lashevsky on the wing as a power forward and make a shot. So just Prentice Hub trusting the guys that he has around him and the pieces that he has around him has made him a better point guard. He still has effort. He still has nights. And we saw it the other night when they played Miami. I think it was 0 for 7 from 3 where he's jacking shots maybe too quickly, not in the flow of the offense. But Prentice Hub is a guy that, okay, I'm going to play the first three, four, five minutes, get Dane Goodwin going. Let's see what Cormac Ryan's doing. Is this Trey Wirtz's night? Let's get him more shots. Nate Lachef, oh, wait, none of those guys are in an offensive flow? That's when Prentice Hub kind of takes it upon himself and says, okay, well, I'm going to shoot it a little bit more and maybe get myself going, which will get everybody else going. So he's not the prototypical Mike Bray point guard out of a Jaron Grant or a Matt Farrell role. But at the end of the day, like you watch what he did in the, in the uh, final nine minutes against Duke. You watch what he did in the final six minutes against Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Then you say, okay, that's why Mike Bray puts so much stock in Prentice Hub. So no John Mooney this year, of course. And if you're the Fighting Irish, you know, you need to attack the zone differently. So how do you think Mike Bray and the Fighting Irish go about doing that? Just play confidently. It's it, every time they play Syracuse. Now they've won the last two years going up to the Carrier Dome, so they've got that. They know they can win in that building. That core believes we can go in there and get a win. Not worry about the length of the zone. But the one thing when you watch Notre Dame that drives you absolutely nuts with their guards, whether it's Goodwin or Hub or Wurtz or whoever, they ha- they have to lead the league in ball fakes. You can't ball fake against the zone because that's going to bring the guys out there and it's going to close that airspace to where if you get a good, if you get an open look, an open looks an open look, take it. These guys play a lot of the times and say, we have a good look. Let's see if we can get a great look. And against the zone, you're not going to get those, those great open looks. So once you have an open look on the wing, shoot it and shoot it with confidence. When this team is rolling offensively, it's hard to match them going for 75, 80, 90 points the way they've done the last couple of weeks here. But the Fighting Irish haven't really been great defensively this year. That's kind of their weak point. Uh, What are some weaknesses that ND has that Syracuse could look to exploit? Rebounding. Like if if they're big guys, and it happened the other night when Juwan Durham and Nate Lashevsky both picked up two fouls each like the first seven minutes of the Miami game – the Miami length and athleticism really gave Notre Dame trouble to where Mike Bray had to bench Durham. He had to bench Lashevsky. He went with five guards, basically the whole first half. And he played Nick Jogo, who's a fifth year guy, six, seven, six, eight at the center spot. So the, the backboard, if Notre Dame doesn't gang rebound and, and, and say like, they didn't have to do that the last couple of years. They just said, John Mooney, go get us 13, 14, 15 rebounds. John Mooney would, if they don't gang rebound and if they don't lock in defensively, like Prentice hub, we saw the back and forth the last time they played up there at the carrier dome with Joe Girard. If Prentice hub lets Joe Girard get going, if Nate Lashevsky lets his guy get going, if Buddy Bayheim hits three or four threes in a row, then that's when it's trouble for Notre Dame because they're at their best when, when, when they can not only score it, but they can lock in. Like they're not going to be Virginia defensively. 
they're not Virginia. They're not holding guys for to 50 and 60 points. But if they can lock in and get stops and get out in transition, not have to play against that set two three zone defense, then Notre Dame will will, will they'll they'll play well. If they if they let Syracuse hit the shots, Notre Dame's got to take the ball out of the basket and come down and play against a, a, a set defense time and time and time again. That's when they struggle to score points. So Ian and I predicted a high-scoring affair later on today, and go check out our FizzCast, ladies and gentlemen. It's on the SoundCloud. Tom, how do you see this game playing out? Let's play this game in the 70s and the 80s. So how about how about first one to 90 wins? Like, usually that's the way it's been. I cover I, – I've been, been around long enough to where I covered a game at the at the Carrier Dome against Syracuse where Notre Dame set, an all t- set the all-time opponent point record in there. That's since been broken. But there was one night when Notre Dame was rolling against that 2-3 zone. I think they scored 105, 104 points against that zone. So they there have been times where they've been really good in that building. If they can do that again on Saturday, we're looking at a game in the 80s. Well, I'm sure Syracuse fans and Notre Dame fans will love a high-scoring matchup. Tom Noy, the South Bend Tribune, thank you so much for joining us and uh, enjoy the game. I'm sure I'm sure you'll be watching it with a watchful eye. There you go, fellas. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. Fizz feedback. We're wrapping it up here on Fizz Radio. Ian Unsworth, John Eads, Taking you all the way till 10 o'clock, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. We got a couple polls out on Twitter, at Orange Fizz. You can check those out, as well as all of our articles, content. John's got some film reviews coming up, as well as reviews of Syracuse's latest recruiting classes. I've got a Duke preview coming out in the next 48 hours. John, let's get to these polls. And since you're the new guy here, you're filling in for Gil today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some questions at you. So... First thing we pinged at Fizz Nation, Fizz Feedback, which postponed Syracuse game would you most like to see rescheduled? Is it Louisville, Florida State, Clemson, or Notre Dame or Wake Forest? We put those two together since they're both kind of at the bottom of the ACC. People want, people still have beef with Louisville like, like you do. You were right. 51% 51% of Fizz Nation wants to see Louisville come again on the schedule. 25% said Florida State. Around 10% said Clemson. And then the rest, 14%, said Notre Dame or Wake Forest. I want to see Syracuse play Florida State just because I think Florida State is the best team in the ACC. I've been saying this for a while now. I don't care that Virginia's good. I think FSU has more talent. I just want to see how they measure up. Okay. And, yeah, I, I get that. It really, you can't go wrong with any of them. Uh, aside from ND and Wake, I don't think anybody wants to see those games. The, those are games that you don't gain anything from playing if you're Syracuse, unless you're already out of the tournament you're playing for the NIT, which, well, I hope we're not in that situation. But I said Clemson earlier, and I'll stick with it. I'll stick with it. You know, like, the, the first game was just so bad, I think it would do Syracuse good to, to attack that game again, readjust, and see if you can come out with a win in the Carrier Dome. Be a nice little redemption story. Exactly, exactly. All right, so we talked about some football recruiting. Syracuse got their first commit of the class of 2022. So we asked you guys, what position group does Dino Babers need to focus on in next year's class? Is it linebacker? Is it D-line? Is it running back? Or something else? Well, I think the best answer there would be D-line. Yeah, you got it. Two for two, John. Hey, you're, you're, you might be a newbie, but you're coming on strong. 
46% of Fizz Nation rocked with the D-line as the position of need in 2022. 18% said linebacker, only 6% said running back, and 30% said something else. We got a couple replies too. Lawnboy1300 said wide receiver. Interesting there, seeing that Syracuse has some good recruits in the class of 21. Uh, Seagold23 said all positions, they were horrible last year. Can't disagree with you there. And in a groove 44 said O-line, which also isn't a bad idea because they, they got a lot of vets on the, at the, on the O-line at this point. You can't go wrong ever adding O-linemen to the roster. I would disagree with wideouts because I think that, that's – Dino said this over and over again. Those are his babies. You know, wideout, he, he, under, he knows what he's doing there. I think we're good there recruiting-wise. Definitely D-line, though. So many veteran bodies on there. You got McKinley Williams, Kingsley Jonathan, and they're, they're out the door. And we were talking about this before. I don't, I don't know who's going to be there in the next couple of years. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of space left on that D line because there's no really nobody really to plug up the middle after Josh Black because you have Steve Linton uh, Thompson I guess could play DN as like a hybrid edge rusher Latari Kinsler still waiting in the wings but there's no big beefy run stoppers so you need to get a couple of those in next year's class all right last but not least Notre Dame coming up in just a few hours last question for the Fizz Nation who leads the Orange in scoring against Notre Dame on Saturday. Is it Joe Girard, Quincy Guerrier, Alan Griffin, or unfortunately the much maligned player this season, Buddy Beheim? Dude, three for three. That's impressive. 50.5% of Fizz Nation agrees with you. Overwhelming response here. Alan Griffin gets 50% of the vote. Quincy Guerrier pulls in 30%. Joe Girard gets a slight 10, and Buddy Beheim evens up with him as well. We got a couple responses here, too. Uh, Mets home run guy says, I just hope they play. I'm with you 100%, man. I just want to see a game of Syracuse basketball. And then Sammy Boy 24 says, bold prediction is Gerard. He's got that beef with Prentice Hub, and they played well twice last year. That is, Gerard played very well twice when Syracuse faced off with ND. What do, what do you think about the Gerard-Prentice Hub beef? <laughs> it's so funny. I know we, we talked about that a little bit with uh, Mr. Tom Noy there in our segment. Uh, at the end of the second game, if you don't know, Gerard kind of grabbed the, the rebound in the last second and handed Hub the ball, and he didn't like it, so he grabbed it and chucked it at Gerard, and then almost almost a big fight erupted. If You you probably find it on YouTube if you want. But, yeah, no, uh, definitely a bold pick. He did look good in that first half against BC. I think if Gerard leads the Orange in scoring, it's probably not a good thing. It's, it's not, not a good thing. Um, and I think Alan Griffin has to be the, the easy pick because he's led Syracuse in scoring the most times out of anybody on this team all year. So, uh, I think Alan Griffin might be good for a requisite 10 to 15 points a game. I think if one of the other two guys gets going, then that's when Syracuse really has a solid chance to win. I'm not sure if it's going to be Bayheim though. So it, the the onus might fall on Joe Girard to get at least, you know, 10 to 15 points. I would say Griffin lands in the 15 to 18 range. Girard finishes with 15. Syracuse wins. I, I I agree with Tom Noy that it's in it's in the 70s to 80s. I said Syracuse 83-78, I believe on the Fizzcast and I'm sticking with it. I think this is a game that Quincy Gary I could dominate too. And like I said on the Fizzcast, comfortable win for Syracuse, eight to ten points. I didn't give a score. I'll go I'll go 82-72-73. There you have it, folks. 82-73 from John, 83-78 from me. Both have Syracuse winning. Thank you so much for listening to Fizz Radio. That's all the time we have for today. Check our stuff out at orangefizz.net, and we'll see you next time.